Hello and welcome back to Eldritch Girl. This is chapter 11 we're on now, so it's part 18 of 20 um, and chapter 11 of 13. And then there's an epilogue. But yeah, so um, we're getting really close to the end. Um, 13th, as always, is All Rights Reserved to C.M. Rosens. The theme tune, as always, by Gemma Cartmore. The illustrations by Tom Brown. You can get the ebooks and paperback from Amazon. You can get the ebooks from anywhere. Grab them from my Kofi shop if you want an ebook, because then you can support me directly. Um, and there is now a hardback version of The Crows out and an audiobook of The Crows. And as we're joined to the end of this podcast season, that means the audiobook of 13th is probably going to be the next thing I release. Um, and I'm currently writing the third novel, which is The Day We Ate Grandad. <laughs> So that title in itself is a massive spoiler, or is it? Let's find out. I really enjoyed writing this uh, last section, and um, I'm going to give you some content warnings for this part, as always. But also, I had some questions about um, Ricky's orientation, and I've had some um, thoughts about Wes, and um, questions about their relationship, and all of that kind of stuff. So I thought it would be quite a nice part, as this is a shorter section, um, just to fill you in on that. Feel free to skip it if you don't want to know, if you're not interested, just get to the story. So, yeah, so content warnings for this section are basically... Uh, fairly limited. You've got some physical altercations between Wes and Ricky, so some more um, aggression, family drama, family violence. Um, Katie cuts her arm and there's an instance where um, Katie stops thinking about Ricky and Wes as people and thinks about them as objects. So if that sort of weirds you out, just be aware that's um, coming up. I don't think there's anything else. There's your usual body horror. Um, there's some throat stuff. There's some more amesis. Um, it's nothing that we haven't really seen before and nothing that um, you haven't come across before in the book. But if you need a heads up, it's here as well. Um, some things about Wes and Ricky's relationship then that I had questions about. Um, I just find this whole thing really interesting. Um, someone described it as like, oh, it seems really romantic. And I'm like, oh, I don't think it is. <laughs> I don't think Ricky would know a romantic relationship if it bit him. But um, yeah, I think Wes, Wes would. Um, so Wes, I think, is... Wes, I think, is demi-romantic in that um, he's perfectly happy having sex with literally anyone, uh, whenever. His libido is quite high and he doesn't mind. And he and Charlie started off as swingers in an open relationship. So they they had sex as a couple with other couples, but they also dated separately. Then four years later, Wes fell in love with Hugo, who is Charlie's best friend, who is gay. Hugo, I think, is monogamous to Wes. I don't think Hugo dates anyone else. Um, Hugo is a bit of a serial monogamist. Um, <laughs> and he doesn't mind that Wes is also seeing Charlie. He doesn't mind that Wes dates uh, separately and that Wes has lots of um, hookups and things like that. It's an understood thing that Wes is just that way um, and it just kind of works for them uh, as a three so yeah so they're a v not a throuple 
um and uh they yeah they just kind of they have this kind of little constellation polycule going on um and sometimes sometimes hugo will join in if uh you know wes has like a a guy over um but you know most of the time he but he doesn't go out and date separately um by you know he just doesn't feel the need to um in terms of wes and ricky that makes wes the most sexually active person ricky knows and so in the crows when carrie uh has very little time left ricky's trying to make her days a little bit better um and so he <laughs> he he kind of realizes that she might want sex and so that's why in the crows he suggests his cousin wes because wes is literally like the only person he can think of that she might be able to have sex with and it's also his way of kind of controlling that situation um by suggesting someone he knows um so there's a kind of a bit of that and also in the crows you get that sense that um there's maybe something going on maybe something has gone on between them because uh when he's 15 he has a bit of a flashback to uh, a memory of him being the only other time in his life um apart from when he's in bed with carrie i think um when he's aroused is when he saw wes and layla together um in a kind of a voyeuristic moment when he was 15 and he kind of blamed it on the lager and the pills um and just um never really thought about it so obviously in this book when you find out that he did actually experiment with wes when he was 17 that makes sense um but also as they grew up and they obviously had this kind of very antagonistic relationship that just simmered into um cold indifference i guess on uh either side um well not really on ricky's side because wes is still like the closest thing he's ever had to an actual living friend before carrie so there's a little bit of a that's why he in the crows is uh sounds a little bit warmer towards wes than wes does towards him and Wes in the Crows is very upfront about what he thinks about Ricky, which is just exactly what he says in this book, which is just leave him alone. Um, everything is transactional. He doesn't understand love. Um, you should just take what you want and leave him and not get attached. That's what that's Wes's advice to Carrie, which, of course, she doesn't follow um, when they first meet. So now, now that they're both forced into proximity with one another but also they're both forced into proximity with a 17 year old and there's this thing that I've noticed myself doing and I've noticed kind of other people doing when they're they're kind of around teenagers or kids for an extended period of time um, unexpectedly or that, that, that you try and relate to them and a lot of the time you do that by remembering what it was like when you were their age and unfortunately 17 is a really bad time for Ricky and not a great one for Wes either and so all of these memories get dredged up and so that skews their current relationship 
as adults and it skews their perception of a lot of stuff and it just kind of brings up a lot of things and makes a lot of things quite raw and they react to that in different ways and that's kind of where this is going and now they're very much um, there's no buffer anymore in the outside which I quite like they are literally just there by themselves Carrie can't mediate um, Wes can't leave and just you know kind of he can't check out he can't um, take drugs he can't um, get in his car and drive off he's very much stuck there and Ricky's also very much stuck there and there's very little they can do about it. They just have to get on with each other or they have to tolerate each other or at least they have to try and work together. Um, and so you get the kind of, uh, you get this argument flaring up um, and you get tempers fraying and then they realise they're kind of stuck in the outside with Katie who could actually change at any moment and eat them. So you have this really interesting dynamic of them uh, settling their own scores and then realising actually they need to tread quite carefully because they have to look out for the third of them um, who is more dangerous than either of them put together. So yeah, it's just a, it's just a very interesting dynamic and an interesting relationship. And it, this book is set in such a narrow time frame it's literally set over just a few weeks the crows were set over 33 days um so just over a month but this book takes place in a much narrower time frame than that so it is very much a snapshot and it's a snapshot of time in which everyone is very quickly unraveling and tempers are fraying and everything feels very oppressive and claustrophobic and concentrated and very intense and that's why you're getting these kinds of flare-ups of emotion so I don't think you should take um, their emotional state in this book as um, you know how it always is or how it's going to be going forward um, it's just you know this this book is kind of everybody's on edge and there's a big loss of perspective and so this act of the book where they're actually outside lost in this dimension um kind of brings everything to the fore a bit more and it's just a yeah it's just a really good way to play with those dynamics so I really hope you enjoy it and I really hope that you um, see the progression of the characters and you like what I'm doing with the character arcs and you're enjoying the backstories and all of that kind of stuff um, it was a lot of fun to write but yeah so I'll shut up now um, in terms of waffling on about them and just let you uh, experience the story <laughs> enjoy Chapter 11, Part 3 Something was happening to her, but she wasn't sure how to tell them. Ever since the thing rose up from the sea, she'd felt like there was something surging up inside her too, something she needed to get the hell out of her. Ricky was acting weirdly even for him, Wes was erratic and probably still on something, and they were stuck in another dimension. She should have left them both to rot in here, be eaten by the throne, deal with the gap they left behind. She swallowed as Ricky went ahead of her this time, as if to encourage her, cheer her up, and collected herself at the base of the outcrop. 
Apart from the fishy stink, which, if you kept breathing through your nose, you could get used to, there was something almost comforting about this place. All these rocks are great hiding places, she thought. So many places to be alone. The jagged shapes were dispassionate rather than sinister. They were what they were. Her bead was cool. Nothing wished them harm. Nothing was stalking them. Nothing was wrong. If it started to burn, would they see the predator before it was on top of them? Like the amphibious thing that rose from the waves with its bugged eye and smooth curved head, were there others good at camouflage? She'd feel better if Ricky changed. Or would she? What if he fed on them, sapping their auras and energy? What if he needed tribute and took their eyes? Katie joined them on the top of the outcrop, hands sore and scraped from not paying as much attention as the first time, and they set off in the direction Wes suggested, skirting the chasm below. It looked like the mainland went on forever. Almost all of it was the same, this strange volcanic landscape, jutting towers and slabs falling into crevices and rising far away into a mountain range of barren peaks and tabletop plateaus. She wished her phone would turn on so that she could take a picture. There was something glinting on the dark side of one of the mountains in the distance, but she couldn't make it out. Perhaps it was another door of light. Wes was out in front, making the balancing act along the outcrop look easy. Katie made the mistake of looking down, at the sheer drop to a narrow ledge the other side, the slope below that littered with loose coal-black scree, the yawning fissure ending the incline abruptly with a sudden drop into nothing. She wanted to be between the boys, in case one of them pushed the other again, but she hoped Ricky had a little more dignity, even if he had enough spite. Every now and then they'd look back to check she was following. It was getting hotter. Katie realised this when her mouth was dry and her top was plastered to her back, nape prickling with sweat. They had nothing to drink. Carrie's kitchen felt so close, but there was no way to get there. If anything comes out of this hole, I'm feeding you two to it first, she muttered, sticky and irritable. Noted, Ricky called over his shoulder, and she flushed, not knowing he could hear that well. Every inch became leaden effort. They left the outcrop to scramble onto a ridge that skirted the chasm, some parts flatter and easier going, others jagged with shards of sheer, razor-sharp spears of obsidian that slashed Katie's skin as she brushed by. A red line opened on her nail-scratched forearm, and she didn't notice until it started to sting. Ricky paused, emitting a tendril to lick up the blood and dribble silver, numbing mucus onto the wound. The stink of fish hit her again, but she let him. He gave her a look that was almost kind. Wes waited, not looking at her, jaw tight as he studied their route. He flickered in and out of her memory, his layers stabilising as he stood still. As she got him back again, warmer-eyed than Kieran, good-looking like Liam, as tall as Ashley, skinny like Adam, she held on to the composite sketch of her older brothers and filled in the gaps that the shifting layers made it hard to see. Ricky released her arm and she blinked, glancing back at him. He cocked an eyebrow, sour, as if to say, You're welcome. Thanks. He shrugged and turned away. Wes led the slow, careful descent down the other side of the spur, with a chasm narrowed enough to jump across. The circle of stone slabs seemed a little nearer, still in the middle distance. The rocks seemed to be around another throne or an altar with a vertical slab on one side. Katie hoped this one wasn't made up of their dead relatives. "'What's that?' she asked, shading her eyes against the grey glare. "'We'll find out soon.' Ricky shook his head and squatted down. "'Let's rest.' 
Don't you want to get home? Wes asked, circling around him to help Katie down the last bit. She jumped, rubbing her arm. They had another slope to tackle now, a gentler one, but this was a good place to pause. Ricky shrugged, pouting. Course, but it's hot. We're not even halfway. We've got nothing to drink. She's hurt her arm. Let's rest a minute. How fast does time move here? Wes flickered, checking the sky. How can you even tell what time it is? It's faster in here than out there, don't you panic? Ricky settled against a rock, leaning back and breathing heavily. Grandpa Nathan reckoned a few days here is barely a few hours at home. A few days? Wes paced, itching to cross the chasm. Katie joined Ricky on the floor and shaded her eyes, her brother's constant flickering giving her a headache. Stay still, Wesley, Ricky snapped at him eventually. You'll give your sister a seizure. I'll give you a bloody seizure, Wes muttered, but he gave up when he realised they really weren't going to be moving again any time soon. Katie ground her molars. Can you both shut up? Moody cow. Wes's attempt at teasing her went down like a lead balloon. Katie glowered, and his smile, weak as it was, faded. He shook his head and came to sit the other side of Ricky, leaving Katie on her own. They sat in mutual, sulking quiet for a while, without any way to tell how much time was passing. Wes spent it staring at his reflection, or at least that's what he was doing every time Katie glanced at him. Ricky seemed to be meditating. His eyes were closed, his lips moving inaudibly, and he was playing with something in his pocket. Katie, despite the situation, nearly fell asleep. This was a familiar place, although she wasn't sure why. She was at home here, comfortable among the rocks, her wounded arm numb and not giving her any pain, and her bead remained cool against her chest. It had stayed cool when the amphibian rose up from the sea too, so she wasn't as worried about the creatures that might live here as Ricky seemed to be. He radiated anxiety, despite the relaxed attitude. Her senses heightened, she breathed the reek of prey under his predatory mask. She checked her arm, eyelids heavy. Was it scabbing over already, or was that split revealing something under her skin? She poked the cut. Grey-blue flesh sat underneath, impervious to weapons, smooth and cold. That was good, wasn't it? She licked her lips. So thirsty. There was plenty to drink, though. The two blood sacks next to her would be enough for a few days. No need to worry. One was still off limits, but she could change that. The other she could start on now. Her maw gaped, sending three feelers from the back of her long throat to quest for his veins. Ricky nudged her awake as she fell onto his shoulder. Oi! Katie started violently, scraping her back against the rock as she jumped. Her brother, not bloodsack, brother, was fine, oblivious. She grabbed her throat, but it was the same length as it had always been, no feelers of any kind lurking in her tonsils. Ricky eyed her warily. You, uh, feeling all right? She nodded, wide-eyed, hoping he wouldn't see her shivering. Thirsty, he grunted. Let's see what the night brings. Night? He nodded at the sky. The uniform grey was darkening, patches of cloud breaking over the tops of the distant mountain peaks. Broken bands of cerise crowned them in bloody glory. This is my fault, Wes said unexpectedly. Katie swivelled and stared at him. Wes wasn't looking at himself any more. Slumped against the rocks, legs out, morose, his eyes were closed. Ricky didn't say anything, but his expression told Katie he agreed. 
The only thing I regret is you being in here. You shouldn't be here. Ricky sniffed. I think he means you. Of course I mean her. Wes shook his head. You? Bloody hell. You did this to me. I'll never forgive you. So much for debt paid, Ricky muttered, scuffing his foot on the loose scree. The light was shifting, dulling the landscape. It dulled his complexion, too, made him look more angular and shady, highlighted the cherry-red dots in the centres of his eyes. Highlighted the cherry-red dots in the centres of his eyes. Katie frowned. Can you just bang, or what? Wes and Ricky both burst out laughing. Shit me, Ricky managed, after his giggling subsided. Wes sniggered. You projecting there a bit, sis? What do you mean? Katie flushed, thinking of Rocket. Wes couldn't know about that. Ah, you got a crush. She got a crush. Wes twisted around and his layers strobed. He twinkled at her, all dark mischief. No, it's nothing like that. Can't you tell? I don't know, Katie snapped, folding her arms tightly across her chest, a barrier between her and further embarrassment. I don't know what this is about. It's about his face, Ricky answered for her brother this time, keeping a watchful eye over the chasm below them. He blames me for his face. He wouldn't do the sacrifices, thought it wasn't cool. So I did one on his behalf. His grin was crooked, a twist of dark satisfaction misaligned with the angles of his skull. Katie shook herself. Everything was twisted here, the light changing the way she saw things, the shapes of the rocks growing more sinister as the landscape darkened. He asked Grandad for something special, Wes said, his voice flat. He gave me something special, all right. Ricky sniggered to himself. Not like I was specific. I could have forgiven you. That's the thing, I could have. Wes sprang to his feet, unfolding his lanky joints and propelling himself upright. I nearly did. Then after what this did to Charlie. I can't forgive that. Ricky stared at him, incredulous. You're blaming me for... Give over, you spineless tart. If it weren't for you, she'd be fine, Wes snapped. Tentacles ooze, weird blood-sucking growths. Fine, she'd cope with that. She's a tough girl. She'd love that. All about the art, innit? But this... He waved a hand in front of his face, making the layers crackle and break down for a moment. She's in love with something she can't even remember. I'm a... a... a black hole in her emotional universe. You got given a gift. I didn't decide what it was. If you misused it, that's not on me. Ricky's fists were balled tightly at his sides, his stance shifting slightly, but perceptibly, shoulders squaring. Katie licked her lips, a tingle of warning racing over her skin. You take some responsibility for yourself, Wesley. What do you think I've been doing? Wes squared up too, towering over their cousin, and Katie became very aware of the drop below, narrow enough to jump over, wide enough to swallow one of them whole. Um... She started, but her throat was dry and tight, and the sound came out as a tiny croak. Neither of them heard, or if they did, they took no notice. Wes's nostrils flared, porter-brown eyes feverish above those killer cheekbones she really hoped she'd remember when they got out of here. The porters and the Wens had a decent set of human genes between them, and Wes seemed to have received the best bits of them both. Katie had seen Wes's expression in her own bathroom mirror a few times, alone with the door locked and the shower running, scalding herself on purpose under the hot tap. It welled up now in sympathetic kinship, born from her belly in a boiling, impotent rage. 
I've shackled myself to her so she never has to go without seeing me again, Wears snapped, a voice deepened in his indignation. I made that commitment for her, for her health, for her well-being. Don't tell me I'm not fucking responsible. I've never let Hugo or anyone else see me for more than a few minutes at a time, an hour max, unless they're strangers and it really doesn't matter. I've given up harvest parties, eating meat, fucking seafood. I've thrown my patella collection in the sea. Don't you fucking stand there and tell me I'm irresponsible. What the fuck would you know? Shackles, an interesting choice of words, Ricky said lightly. Wes lunged at him and got him by the front of his hoodie. Ricky giggled in Wes's face as Wes heaved him nearly off the floor. "'You little shit!' Wes hissed in his face as Katie quivered with tense indecision, unsure where to stand or what to do. "'You never felt love in your whole life. You suck it up like a sponge and spit it back in our faces. Where do you get off lecturing me?' "'You never gave me anything without you wanted something back,' Ricky countered. "'None of you.' Not even you, and you can tell yourself different if it makes you feel better, but that's the truth. You always wanted this. He tapped his head. And I made you rich. You can't deny that. And that was all you was after. Wes dropped him. Ricky straightened his hoodie, taking his time. Katie couldn't see his face, but she read her brother's well enough. Wes was wrestling with something, unblinking, jaw fluttering as he flushed, breathing hard. Ha! Look at us, hey? No, maybe you're right. Maybe you're always bloody right. You know what? You know what my consolation is? He cocked his head. You and me, we're both special. All the others, they can hide what they are, change perception, but you and me, the single-borns, people will always see us for exactly what we are, me, a non-entity, fair enough, something and nothing. But you, you'll always be a monster, and that makes me happier, and I can tell you. A jolt went through Katie as she realised what he was saying. If Ricky responded, she wasn't listening. No, he had to be wrong. Others in the family had weird mutations that were on display, Nicole's spinal teeth, the triplet seams. But when they chose, there was nothing there but some odd, light scarring, easily hidden with clothes and makeup. And the elders, Uncle George even, not quite an elder, but certainly older, they could alter what you saw, mess with your perception. Cousin Ricky was the only one whose change was outward and always visible. Wes's change was unique. What was the thing they shared that made them special? But you're single births, she said, interrupting, and I am too, and if neither of you can hide what your changes are, then that means... She looked down to herself, the tingling spreading under her skin. How am I supposed to go to uni if I can't hide what I am? They fell silent, turning to stare at her. What do you want to go to uni for, anyway? Wes asked after a long pause, attempting to sound casual. That's for regulars. I want to learn stuff. I want to go out with my mates. I want to see new places. I want to go travelling, Katie said, fighting down panic. No one said anything about not being able to hide it. I thought that happens randomly. What are you saying? That it that single births aren't... She caught her breath. Are you saying I won't be able to hide my changes at all? No one's saying that, Wes said, unconvincingly and too late. Ricky shot him a look. Cool, I say I'm a shit liar. Not helping. Wes took a step towards her and Katie shrank back into the rocks. Look, I... Ignore me. I was just getting at him. I wasn't getting at you. It's just false correlation, right? I didn't mean it. Katie shook her head. The tingling was getting worse, like something under her skin was fighting to get out. Her throat was constricting, not from emotion, but as if there was something stuck at the back of it. She couldn't cough. 
"'All right, deep breaths,' Ricky said, gruff but soothing. "'We can figure it out. Of course we can. We'll work on it. I already got an idea.' Relief washed the tingling away. "'Moon's rising,' Ricky said, nodding at the sky, inching towards her, trying to smile. The light cast his face in fragmented patches of darkness. "'That's pretty.' She darted a glance at it, but the white glare hurt her eyes. It peeked over the mountain range, a half-sucked lozenge, misty aura of silver around the visible edge. "'Look, ain't that nice. We'll get down to that circle soon, and we'll go home and fix it. You can have a proper drink of water, something to eat, the mistress will make us something, yeah? You all right?' He reached her, holding out his hand. Katie hesitated before she took it, her palm prickling at his clammy touch. "'Let's not fight,' Ricky said to Wes. "'She's getting stressed.' We don't want that right now, do we? This seemed to jog Wes's memory about something, as understanding crossed his face and his lips bowed in a warm smile while his forehead creased in worry. No need. None to be stressed over. His accent mimicked their elders and Ricky's when he lapsed, and that made her smile. There we go, Ricky said, pleased, helping her forwards and raising his eyebrows at Wes. There's a smile. Come on, let's get this sorted. Katie nodded, relaxing. She let go of his hand. Thanks, she started to say, but gagged. Something was at the back of her throat. She clutched it, coughing. Ricky got between her and Wes, stopping Wes coming to her aid. Spots burst in the gloom, pressure filling her head as she fought for breath. There was something inside her, and it was finally breaking free. <laughs>